This is Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Lena. I'm Matt Henry. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Mark. So today we are going to attempt to talk about the problem of evil. And I say attempt because you're tired. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And we're getting ready to go somewhere. San Diego. And I, I was ready to make a joke, and in my mind I said, you're too tired to make a joke. Uh, so then I <laughs> said, <control>. shut up. <laughs> San Diego. San Diego. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so we're going to talk about today the problem of evil, and you're going to do most of the talking, because you're the expert. And Me, I'm the guy that wrote the script. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So and I wrote myself <laughs> into that script. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. So, um, so yeah, we're gonna talk about this, and for multiple reasons, but one of them being it is uh, it can be a complex issue, actually, and well, people have made it complex. Um, but we're gonna talk about it, and the reason for that is because it's it's it is a common question for people, and especially for uh, you know the average person. Simply, typically, when you're having a conversation with somebody. Um, especially if they're not a believer, they're going to throw out something at you like, you know, if God is all-knowing, uh, if he's all-loving, um, if he possesses power and authority over all things and he's the creator, then why is there evil? Why do bad things happen to, yeah. quote, good people, things like that? And so uh, we're going to attempt to talk about it today. Right. And in fact, one of my infamous sermons I did was, why do babies die? And I thought I would just go right at that very issue. Um the the challenge, and it's a legitimate one, the challenge is simply uh, what is evil and, and how can it coexist with God if he hates evil? Um, and so that, there's a fancy word for it. It's called theodicy, um, which just comes from two Greek words, uh, one for God and one for justice. And the idea behind the word um, is that how is God truly just when there is evil in the world? That's mm-hmm. that's. The issue, and you're always going to hear this with skeptics, atheists, agnostics, liberals, yeah. um, and and more and more in in a sense supposed conservative Christians who just struggle with this, and and so they're coming up with all sorts of answers. So, I, I recently listened to a podcast, and that was what prompted me to write this because I heard a pastor just say some incredibly terrible things theologically about God and evil and the relationship of God and evil. And it got me angry enough to say, you know what, we we ought to do a podcast on that sooner than later. So that's what we're doing. All right. All right. Well, in light of that, then um, how should we begin to understand the issue? All right. So the first thing is it's a completely legitimate question to have. There's nothing wrong with asking that question. Um, In fact, if if you've never wondered how God and evil coexist in, in that relationship, it probably means that you've never really experienced any extreme evil, um, you know, in your own life. You know, the person who's watched their baby, you know, die or worse yet, get kidnapped, tortured and uh, dismembered. I mean, uh, I, as a cop, you you know, you would see things that, you just wish you could scrub out of your brain, and you can't. 
Um, people who experience evil um, find this to be a question, and and it's because they're trying to make sense of things, and and their safe world, their comfortable world, has just been destroyed. Um, and if we were able to see what really is going on around this world of ours right now and the types of evil that are being perpetrated on people, um, I think it would horrify people. Uh, it really would. You know, when Daniel, I think it was Daniel Pearl or was it David Pearl, the uh, reporter who was beheaded oh, on yeah. camera. Ugh. And I think that really shocked a lot of people right, that yeah. they weren't prepared for that and they weren't prepared for the horror of what that was. And it's like, welcome to a new reality. But this kind of thing happens um, far too frequently. So I guess my first thing pastorally I would say to somebody is don't ever feel bad about asking that. Uh, most people don't ask it with a legitimate desire to know though, right? Most right. don't, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, what they're trying to do is thinking they got the great answer or question that's going to slam dunk. Sitting, sitting in a circle on a college campus somewhere. Oh yeah, it sounds so wise at that point. Yeah. So the the second thing is it this is a very common way for people to try to reject God as they look at the Bible and they see how God is portrayed, that he's is all-knowing, he's loving. Uh, and so they they either want to reject him or they're just going to change God into something um, altogether. In fact, there was a, a viral video. Did you ever see this one? Mm-mm. Oh. No, you told me about it, though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember this. It, it It's one that you really should watch. Um, it was of a guy named Stephen Fry. He's an English comedian and activist, which it's like right there. Well, when I want to ask ultimate <laughs> questions about God in reality, I always think of a comedian. Yeah. I mean, that's who I'm shooting for. But he's being asked about his thoughts on suffering. Um, and the guy interviewing him is one that's going to uh, pose these questions. Um, Fry is a noted atheist also. Now, it's worth noting that he is rejecting the person of God. So he's already says, hey, I don't believe in God. But the question is framed that the as if the Bible is true. And now he's died and he stands before God at the pearly gates and he's confronted with God. So what's he going to say to God? And here's actually uh, actual quotes. He, he says, bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there's such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world that's so full of injustice and pain? That's what I would say. Now, he says more, but that captures the basis of his complaint. In fact, he said it so strongly that the guy interviewing him uh, was a little bit taken back as well. And ultimately, it, it leads him to declare that this God is a maniac and that he has no desire to serve him or be with him. Now, we could say all kinds of things about that interview, and maybe one day we will, but what it really shows is just a complete wrong, completely wrong grasp of himself, a wrong grasp of God. Um, but we want to use that to illustrate how people uh, use what they call evil as a weapon somehow to disprove God or at least demean God. Um, yeah. So, so how would you how would you answer that? Pretty easy. Um, in fact, it's, that's what's so funny about it is it's not that hard to answer. Um, 
if you want to see how different people dealt with it, though, you could actually go onto YouTube and just search under theodicy or Stephen Fry and theodicy, and you can see how all kinds of different theologians try to approach it. Um, but it really boils down to two options. Um, the first way is simply approach it through the Bible and submit to what the Bible says. It's not hard. The other one is that you can approach it through some philosophical argument and then engage that argument with your own. Um, and that's, unfortunately for me, I think that's a more common way that people do it. And it bugs me. It's like, why don't you just say, here's what the scripture says and leave it. Um, but we, we're humans and we don't like to do it. Um, it's, it's so simple if you'll just say, let's open the Bible and let's see what it says. Yeah. So a lot of people do try to approach it through philosophical argumentation, though, um, which, you know, it works for some people. They, they try and make sense of things that way. Um, but in the end, I mean, we would ultimately say to them that it achieves very little. Um, you know, even if they do convince a person to uh, these arguments, convince a person to a particular point of view, um, that argument's only going to stand so long as nothing better comes along. But the moment a new argument comes along, what they're holding to is ultimately going to fall away anyway. And so when it comes to philosophical arguments or, you know, rational argumentation, um, the ultimate authority, here's the problem with it. The ultimate authority rests with a person's own reason, right? right. Um, you know, something inside of them in their own finite perspective of what seems reasonable to them at the time. But the problem with that is, is we're finite people. And so we don't have God's perspective or an ultimate perspective or something bigger that's outside of us. And so ultimately, if you want to approach it through philosophy, fine, but it's not going to be in the long term helpful. No, uh, not at all. And it is a common problem. This is what happens with a lot of young people when they go off to college, in fact. Uh, they've never, maybe their mom and dad never trained them to just look at the word and become uh, convinced and convicted in their own heart that this is true. And so they they just kind of grow up hearing about Noah and the ark, and they did their um, sheep with what what do you do with that cotton balls cotton and ball. stuff like that right and they then they daydream through all the sermons there was never an engagement and then they think they're christian and they think they understand things and they go out to college and hear a very smart professor right yeah bring some arguments and they're they're shattered um and it's because they don't they don't have any authority that they can rest on that's the final authority and that's that's what i'm going to make the argument is that the best thing to do is just simply Accept or reject the biblical statements. If you want to reject what the Bible says about God, fine. At least we know where you stand. You're just rejecting it. But I don't think that I can find a better argument that will somehow make you believe in God beyond what the Bible says, right. which yeah. makes me a presuppositionalist. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's what is authoritative? Well, for me, as a Christian, the Bible is my final authority, and I don't need to go any further. Um, so there's, with that in mind, the Bible, when you look at the Bible, there's just simply two realities on this subject that you have to accept. God exists. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, and evil exists. There's, I mean, the Bible doesn't, mm -hmm. <laughs> the Bible doesn't pretend that either one of those don't exist. So if God doesn't exist, here's the rub. If God doesn't exist, then evil can't exist. And, and what I mean by that is that Evil can only be defined in light of God. God says, this is good, this is right, this is upright, and this is evil, and this is sin, 
and this is not upright. And that's how we know. And so what happens behind that is an atheist becomes a thief, basically, because what he tries to do is he tries to steal the concept of evil and the reality of evil, but not accept the person of God who makes evil make sense. And this, this goes into other issues that we don't have time to go into, but this is at the root of what's wrong with evolution, is evolution, by its very nature, is without God, and therefore there right. is no right or wrong. There is nothing called moral. It just is. Right, because the, the term evil is transparently a moral category. Right. It presupposes morality. And, and evolution is amoral in, right. its, in its most basic sense. Yeah. Um, and yet everyone who believes in evolution... They know evil exists because they see it, they've experienced it, or they've committed it. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the place where the atheist shows himself to be a messed up person because they're trying to make sense of a world with no God, but without God, nothing can make sense. Right. And and you can't make any judgment. You can't say this is right or this is wrong yeah. because so, there, there so is no Stephen reality. So Stephen Fry or Stephen Fry, whatever his name is, his, his anger doesn't make any sense. Right. He has no he has no grounds to be angry about bone yeah. cancer in children. Right. At all. That's just And so he's angry at a God that he claims he doesn't believe exists. For but being he really unjust. is actually angry because he does see the effects of evil. He does see the effects of sin. It's it, it, and and so yeah, it's it atheism just twists you into a knot. And at first people think that they fix themselves by becoming an atheist, all their problems go away. It's like, no. Because one, God hasn't disappeared, and two, you actually just create new arguments and new problems that you haven't even thought about yet. And that's part of my job, I think, as a pastor, is to shove those things back into their face when, when confronted with them. So, yeah. So, my point is at 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 the very basic is the Bible makes it very clear: God exists, and evil exists, and true evil cannot exist in a universe without a God. Yeah. In fact, that's one of the reasons why the Bible. Will, will say that only the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Um, yeah. As we've been saying that, you know, they're trying to make sense of things that are real, but they're approaching it from a perspective that's void of that, which defines reality, which is God himself. Right. So like all things connected to God, we need to be comfortable with a level of mystery. Um, there's a fancy word for that. It's called an antinomy. Were you ever taught that? Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time I learned, I'm like, ooh, I like that. An antinomy is simply this. It's an apparent contradiction. And I use the word apparent because it's really not a contradiction, uh, but it appears to be uh, between two or more doctrines or two or more laws or rules. Um, and what what we, we don't do is, as humans, we don't like that. We don't like an- antinomies existing, but they're all over the place in the Bible. I mean, the Trinity. Have, Right. In fact, we just failed at trying to make a podcast, and we're going to try it after I've got more rest on on the nature of the Trinity. Right. Yeah. And and it's it's a complex doctrine, um, or the hypostatic union of the two natures of of Christ. There's all sorts of things uh, that the Bible talks about that are just antinomies, and we don't we don't understand them. Uh, we don't know how they work. Um, which is why I said we have to become comfortable with the mystery. Uh, or the mysteriousness of God himself. But instead what we do is what Psalm 50 verse 18 talks about where we, God says, you thought that I was just like you. And, and that's what we really do is that we have a habit that's a very bad habit of trying to think that God is just like us, and he isn't. Mm-hmm. And 
in fact, I, I try to tell people when talking about this, I'm like, picture a circle. And inside that circle is everything. I said, and then God is out that, outside of that. Now he's in and through all of it, but he's outside of that. He's not subject to any of that. And we try to make him subject to it all. And, and it's not the way it works. So this idea of making God into our image then is the most common issue you see when you argue about, with somebody about his sovereignty or his uh, man's free will or the Trinity or the presence of evil is what we try to do is we try to make it manageable by making God into our image. And, and you can't do it. Uh, it's, it's, I would even argue it's sinful to do so. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're saying we need to approach this, this stuff from the scriptures and from a biblical perspective. Um, so in light of that, where then would you say evil comes from in your understanding? God created it. God created evil. It's so simple. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How can you say that? Well, you and, and that, that's, that's what people do. It's true. Um, but it's that simple. Um, and, and let me just make my argument before I then show passages that show sure. it. Yeah. Um, if we embrace the scripture as totally true, then we have to embrace this. Um, in, uh, in John 1, 3, it says, all things, how many is all there? How many, how are many is all? That's <laughs> <laughs> a question Reese would ask me. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, go, go to your room. What number is, what number is blue? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. It, it, he, he's talking about the totality of creation, though, right? He's like, all things came into being by him, and apart from him, him being God or Christ. Nothing came into being that has come into being. Literally, that's not hard to understand. We may not grasp the complexity of it, but it's not hard to grasp that nothing came into being unless God did it. Right? Except evil. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's, it's like, well, wait a second. Either that means something or it doesn't mean something. But then the Bible actually is flat out explicit. We've talked about these passages before. Um, the first one is in Isaiah 45, verses 6 and 7. That men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. Okay, so the details here, God is saying this. Uh, God says that there is no other God out there doing something. That's the point of this section. He, he's like, there are no other gods. There's only one God. So whatever is going on out there, wherever there is, God's the one doing it. Uh, and then... To show that and show how vast that that statement is, he says that he is the one who makes like, uh, not like, uh, light and darkness. And then here's the rub. He, he makes peace with his shalom and then evil. It's not calamity. I mean, it can be translated as calamity, but it's a common word, the basic word for evil in Hebrew. I mean, he, he overtly says, I am Yahweh who does all of these things. I am the one who makes peace, and I'm the one who brings evil. Yeah, without blushing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, no explanation. And, and the extremes, light, darkness, peace, evil. Yeah, and, and, and all of that is because there is no other God out there. 
Um, and then there's another one in uh, Amos chapter 3, verse 6. If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? If a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? And again, that word calamity there is a word for evil. And, and in the English, we look at it and say, well, it's, no, it's just talking about a calamity. I'm like, maybe you've never been in a calamity. Um, maybe you've never held your, your child's lifeless body after a raiding party of, you know, warriors went storming through your village and killed everybody. You know, that, that's the reality of what a calamity is. Mm-hmm. And notice again that it's not saying that he merely permits it. He's actually actively involved in it. Yeah, because some, and that's important because many try to argue that, okay, if God does, he does it through secondary means. Right. So he's giving permission or perhaps by not preventing. Yeah, somehow it's like, well, he's allowing that. He allowed that to happen. I'm like, that doesn't satisfy anything. Yeah, Yeah. like, oh. (laughs) So I, when, when somebody uses that with me, I get kind of unkind. Um, but I tried to do it because it, this is such a critical issue. So here's my common illustration I use is I, I, if they, I know they have children. I say, so I'll name one of their children. I said, let's just say that you asked me to babysit, you know, Joey. And um, you're coming home and you're going to go pick up Joey. And you see him playing on the front lawn and I'm there with him. And he's just kind of toddling around. He's just a little guy. And you see a large semi coming the other way. And you start to see from a distance, you see Joey starting to head toward the road and I don't do anything. And, and to your horror, he steps out in front of the truck. It's too late. The truck runs him over and crushes him. Um, you, you, you get there, you jump out, you're horrified. Your son is dead and, and yet I'm your friend. And so you're trying to make sense of it and you say, what happened? What happened? And well, he got killed by a truck, obviously. And and then you you in your mind you're like, yeah, but is it is it because you didn't see the truck? No, I saw the truck. Well, is it that you couldn't get to Joey in time? No, I could have done that. Well, is it that you were somehow unaware that he was going to actually step all the way in front of the truck? No, I knew he was going to step in front of the truck. Then why why didn't you? I just allowed them. You know what? You're not going to be satisfied with that. No. <laughs> You're not going to say that I don't somehow. I on his free will. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Somehow now I'm off the hook. Hey, what's it? No. Um, and if, if that's, I'm making an argument from the lesser to the greater. If that would be true of me, then to look at God and say, well, so God knew the fall was going to happen? Yeah. And he could have prevented it? Yeah. But he, I mean, he just let it because, I mean, hey, he doesn't want to in, impede man's free will. None of that satisfies when you're actually no. thinking about it. Um, the reality is that evil is a part of the plan and purposes of God. And, and frankly, when we push back against that fact, all we're really doing is pushing back against God. Um, and, and some of the ways that you can illustrate that is like the man Job. Uh, a whole book of the Bible devoted to this very issue of theodicy. Um, it's, it's probably one of the best illustrations of God's sovereign rule over and through even evil actions and evil people. So the story in a nutshell, you got Job, he's a righteous man. He fears God, which is an old Testament way of saying he's a believer. And then the first chapter, Satan comes and appears before God and basically presents himself to God and gives a 
a report in a sense. And God mentions Job and his uprightness. And all Satan does is say, hey, the only reason that he's doing so well and he's so godly is because you protect him and you bless him. He says, you let me touch him and mess with him, and I'll guarantee you that he will curse you. Now, I'm giving you a paraphrase, obviously, right? But God says, you may do that. You cannot touch him, but you can remove those blessings. And so the next thing you read is this group of people called the Sabaeans. So now we're at a third level of actors. You've got God, then you got Satan. Now you got these people called the Sabaeans, and they take all of his herds and kill all the servants. And then you have fire from God, it says, that killed all of his flocks and those servants. And then the Chaldeans come and they steal the camels and kill those servants. And then a great wind knocks down a building and all of his children are killed. Now just get your head around that. And the, and the way it's written is that as one servant is reporting what has happened, the next one's coming with the next bit of bad news. Now that's what calamity means. That's what evil looks like, is your children are dead, you're, you're, you've been robbed, blind. Um, but, but Job won't curse God, right? And then Satan and God talk again. Now, nobody knows this is going on. Job wasn't told, hey, we had this discussion, so just stay firm. He's totally oblivious to it. But God and Satan have this talk again, and again, permission is given by God to Satan, but this time he says, you can't take his life. You can touch him and you can mess with him, but you can't take his life. And so he's afflicted with these horrible boils that are just terrible pain. He's sitting on a pile of ashes. It says he's scraping his skin with a broken piece of pottery. It's nasty. Um, And yet Job, in the midst of all that, shows more wisdom and knowledge of God than most theologians I run into or pastors today. Uh, Hear what he says to his wife. His wife says, you know what? You hold on to your faith in vain. Why don't you just curse God and die? And in the midst of all that misery, Job says this to his wife. He says, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept the good from God and not accept adversity? But again, that's a word for evil. He's like, do we not accept the evil from God? Right. Yeah. And he understood it. He looked at it and he's like, I don't know why this is happening. Because again, he doesn't know about the conversation. But he's willing to accept it. He's like, you know, we were all very happy to accept all the blessings and call those a gift from God, but we're not willing to accept the evil. And yet, how often do you hear that today? God would not have done that. God would not have done that. But if you get a good job, oh, God's in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's just bad doctrine. Yeah. And so he sees both good and evil happening. Um, and he doesn't bother dwelling on the secondary or the tertiary uh, causes of Satan or the Sabaeans. He doesn't care. It doesn't also prevent him from mourning. He has real emotion and he hurts and he's sorrowful, but it never allows him to become bitter or resentful. And I think that's probably one of the most important things you take out of that is this is a man who truly did fear God and he understood that he lives under the sovereign rule of God and God will do as he pleases. Yeah. So what, what then, um, what do we do with this? All right. Well, in verse 10, it says, in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips or words. And so when you look at that and you think about it, it says that if what he said was false about God, then it would have been sin. He, sa- he said, we accept both the good and the evil from God. 
And in all of this, we did, he did not sin. So if, if we were to say that he's made an untrue statement about God, then he would have sinned. But the Bible actually affirms that what he said is, in fact, true. So you, you ask, what do we do with it? We have to see that God is still good. And yet somehow, and this is where that mystery gets in, he uses evil for his good purposes. So the perfect example of that would be in Joseph, uh, the life of Joseph in Genesis. So he's the favorite son. His brothers get jealous. They beat him, throw him in a pit. They're going to kill him. And then they come up with a more kind idea. Let's just sell him into slavery. So he goes off to Egypt. He then is falsely accused by a woman of the house that he is serving at, that he tried to take advantage of her. So now he's cast into prison. And there, while he's in prison, he has the ability to interpret dreams, and he interprets these dreams truthfully. And, and he tells the guy, one guy, he's like, remember me when you're freed. And of course, he's not remembered, he's forgotten. And then there comes this critical point where there's these dreams that the Pharaoh's having and, and he can't um, have anyone interpret them. And that's when this guy remembers, oh, there's a guy in prison who can do that. And that's the, the, in a short version, the story of Joseph. And so he becomes the second in command of all of Egypt. And during that time, his family are starving due to the famine and they go to Egypt to look for help. And so it's there that he sees his brothers who have done him nothing but evil. And it comes to this critical point in Genesis 45, where he looks at his brothers and he says that he understood that God had done these things so that he would be able to preserve his family, which would become the, the great nation of Israel. And so already in Joseph's mind, he's, he's seeing that there's more going on than all of that evil of of slavery and false imprisonment and everything else, he sees no God's behind all of this and God was doing something. And that it goes to the final point in uh, Genesis 50 verse 20. He says to his brothers, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it. The, the, the very evil you meant, God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result. And so we get a little bit more information from that. He doesn't excuse his brothers that, you know, they were doing evil. He, he's not saying, oh, yeah, you did good. No, they did evil. But that very evil was good in the hands of God. And that if a person can get comfortable with that, then a whole lot of mental anguish and foolish talk will stop. Is that somehow, and we don't, we're not always told how it works out. Somehow in the midst of evil, God is still working good. And, and we have to accept that. Yeah, you know, I was just reading in Second Kings 22 today, one of those classic examples when there's an evil spirit that says, I'm going to delude the prophets of Israel. That's what I'm going to do. And that's how you can punish Ahab. And God's like, go, go do it. Yeah. And he put the evil spirit in the prophets of Israel. <laughs> to so lie. Ahab would die. Yeah. Which you're like, whoa, wait. What? To lie, to bear false witness <laughs> right, of God. right. In fact, I was going to say that if you want to have fun, a fun study, you can just search the phrase evil spirit in your electronic Bible, and you'll find that it comes up seven times in the Old Testament, and it always refers, always refers to an evil spirit sent by the Lord to do something. And so it's like, again, the Bible is just very comfortable. It, it's like, no, I created both good and evil. 
Um, no, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. No, that evil spirit was sent by me to accomplish my purposes. And then the, the best one, though, is in Acts 2, um, where you have the question, who killed Jesus? Um, and it's answered. Peter says it this way in Acts 2, 22 to 23. You want to read that, Lena? Yep. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Yeah, so who killed Jesus? Well, the Romans killed Jesus, or you could say the Jewish leaders and people killed Jesus, or you could just say God did, because he was delivered up according to God's predetermined uh, and uh, plan and foreknowledge. And so in, in the midst of the death of Christ, which is a very evil act, there was also obviously eternal good in it. Yeah, and, and with that, that, that's where understanding... And we did a podcast on this, but right. um, understanding God's decorative or sovereign will, um, in contrast to His revealed will, um, will help flesh some of that out. So, so God's sovereign will was that He would send forth His Son to save the world, um, but His revealed will is that you don't kill people. Right. <laughs> but yet, how did He execute His sovereign will in that sense? Well, by someone transgressing transgressing His revealed will, which is. Murder. But that was his will that they transgress it. Yeah. And then he'll punish them for it. Yep. And people say, that's not fair. It's like, well, that's because you're not God. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And and the better we understand that, again, the more comfortable we'll be with these types of struggles um, that we're going to be seeing at all times because we're going to see evil in our own life and others. But there's some people out there, and I just, I'll throw out two names that uh, we deal with. Uh, Leighton Flowers, who is really popular in the Southern Baptist world for trying to push against uh, Calvinistic teachings. But the more I watch or listen to him, the more I realize the man doesn't even understand the Bible very good. Um, But he loves to make this argument against what we just said and talked about. Um, Or another guy, his name is Greg Boyd, who actually created up a doctrine called the Open open theism where God doesn't know all things. Um, he's learning and it's, it's just a terrible, terrible doctrine. And somehow in his mind, he thought that he was solving the problem of evil is that because God made you, Matt Miller, so free, he literally doesn't know what you're going to do because if he knew what you were going to do, then you weren't truly, truly free. So he every day is wondering what will Matt Miller do today and what will Matt Henry? Um, and it's just a complete denial of explicit statements like this in the Bible. And and ultimately, they never help. Um, they just create new problems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, and, 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 and the biggest problem is that the moment you make evil something that's outside of God's sovereign control, then you have a competing power. That there's there's something there that God can't control. That mm. God, and and it's like, and then it also tells you then that God is not the creator of all things, and so it's it's just wrong. It's unbiblical, and and I would argue it needs to be rejected. Yeah. So so in light of that, you and I were talking about this podcast, and 
you brought up another passage that you know well. Um, and, and all of this is, how should we respond to this? We, I've just yacked for quite a while. So yeah. what do we do with it? Yeah, so th- this is one of my, for me, one of my go-to passages to talk about how then to respond to, to the realities of evil and suffering and the difficulties of life. And I always just go to Luke chapter 13, uh, which is Jesus speaking. Um, and he gives, it's a helpful place to begin, I think. And this is his own response essentially on the problem of evil. And he says this, he says, now on the same occasion, there were some present who were reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their own sacrifices. And he answered and said to him, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Now, what's helpful about this passage in my mind is he actually brings up two different kinds of evil or two separate realities. You have the natural evil or natural disasters, and we see that in this Tower of Siloam falling on some people and killing them. You know what? That's the first time I ever noticed that. That's a good observation. Oh, well. Well done. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, then, you, <laughs> then you have um, human evil or human calamity um, in verses one or two, where essentially you have these Galileans who are worshiping, and then Pilate and his men come in on them and kill them. And then just to insult them all the more, he mixes their blood in with the blood of the sacrifices they're making. And so it's just a disaster. Um, but that's just evil. That, that was just malice and wickedness right there. Um, and so, of course, it, it begins with some people coming to Jesus and asking him for his perspective on on why this had happened. Um, now, what's interesting is Jesus doesn't launch into some complicated philosophical rationalistic explanation for this. Um, nor does he even try to defend God yeah. and explain God um, or have to give an account for God. Yeah. You know, um, rather he, he just goes a completely different way and uses the evil or these realities in the world that were happening as an opportunity, actually, as explicitly stated here, to call them to repentance. He says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So he didn't even answer their question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. In fact, all he really cared about is, yeah, they died and you know you're going to die What are you going to do? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it doesn't really matter how you die. <laughs> right. It's going to happen. I, I will say on this passage, though, because I remember even when like Katrina hit in 05 and... People are like, well, you know, that's just because they're all a bunch of sinners with their Mardi Gras and oh, all gosh. this stuff going down in New Orleans. And Jesus here would say, no, they had nothing to do with it. Are they worse sinners than you? He says, no, unless you repent, you likewise are going to perish. Um, so what do, what did he mean by that? Well, the, the term likewise is important because um, all it means is he's, he's picking up on the absolute suddenness in which these calamities happened. Uh, notice the Galileans were worshiping like any other day. I mean, that's just what they do. They go and they make their sacrifices. And then out of nowhere, the pilot and his men come in and just slaughter them. Um, the people of the Tower of Siloam, they were just going about their business like every other day and it just collapses. Uh, you know, I think of things like 9-11. No one on the planes that day, nobody in the towers that day thought anything was going to happen in terms of their, their expecting death. Um, they're just doing life, going to work, going about their business, maybe not giving one thought to God. And yet the suddenness of that, um, it yeah. was just devastating. Yeah. Um, 
So the point of Jesus then really is that we ought not to be shocked that uh, when evil happens, like, oh, look at, look at this craziness, look at the calamities, the planes, the towers, whatever. Rather, his point there is what you ought to be shocked at is that you weren't the one in the plane or you weren't the one in the tower. Um, what we ought to be shocked at is that there's still grace for us, um, that we're still alive, that there's still breath in our lungs. Um, and so his, his point then is that we need to repent. That's the point. Um, so when you, when you see calamities in the world, it's not for us to sit there and stare at and dissect and try to make sense of it and put together a philosophical, rationalistic, whatever argument to try and make God just or make it be a reason for why we won't believe in a God who claims to be just yeah. or good. Rather, the point is, is when you see evil, you ought to have one response. And what is it? Repent. Right. <laughs> That's Jesus' point. And yet what's sad is how we look at it and we don't. I mean, apart from the grace of God, our hearts are just so dead. Yeah, that that we look at, and we're already figuring out, like like the guys in Luke. Well, who died? Who who sinned? Who did this? It's like you missing the whole point, guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I I always I try to tell people there should be one of two responses really, uh, and that is if you're a believer and you hear of some form of evil, you see some form of evil for instance, a shooting, so wickedness or evil at the hands of men or a tsunami that just sweeps the shore and wipes it out. Um, what you ought to be doing in that moment is praying that repentance might happen because that, that's why it's taking place, um, that people might understand the grace of God in their own life, that they haven't been wiped out in that moment. They're still alive. There's still time. Um, and the other response, then, if you're, if you're an unbeliever and you see those things, you ought to look at it recognize God is who he is, that you're being shown grace. It doesn't make sense why you weren't the one killed. It doesn't make sense why they were the one killed. Whose choice was that? Right? Right. So the point is, is there's grace today. You're, you're still alive. You have breath in your lungs. And what you ought to do is not make sense of it or be angry at God. You should repent at his goodness that you're still alive and can repent. And right. so that's, that's Jesus' response to the problem of evil, really at two levels, one of natural disasters, but also the wickedness of men. Yeah, so we'll end it with this. It's a pretty good quote from a guy named John Golden Gay. He said this, the problem with of theodicy is not the justification of a holy God in the face of suffering humanity, but the justification of sinful humanity in the face of a holy God. And that's, that's the essence of the Luke passage. Mm-hmm.